sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Brother Elvin, could you come and have prayer with me before I begin? Please. Amen. Amen, Lord. Yes, Father, thank you. We close our eyes and by faith look to you this morning. Lord, we see you high and lifted up. The eye of faith, Lord, we see you seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You're worthy, Lord, this morning of all the glory. You are worthy of all the praise. Lord, you have done marvelous things in our lives, and Lewis is not an exception here, Lord. You have brought him out of the deep, miry clay of sin and gave him hope and peace and joy. And I know his heart is trembling this morning, but Lord, I pray that you would get the glory. I pray that he would have freedom. And not fear man, but fear the Lord and love, love you, Lord, as he shares his testimony and brings the words that you lay on his heart. Lord, give him peace, peace that passes understanding. You are worthy, Lord, forever and ever and ever to receive the glory. Thank you, God, for having mercy on him and on us. Thank you, God. Now, in this next hour, Lord, please watch over us, watch over him. Help us to be open to your spirit, Lord, as you speak to us, and that ultimately all the glory would reflect you, for you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Bless my dear brother and friend. Thank you, Lord, for him. Bringing him here today, finally, Lord, I pray again, Lord, that everything that's said and done would be to the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Well, greetings, everyone. I greet you in the precious name of our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us that we could have a chance to be saved and have salvation. What a wonderful thing he did for us. I desperately wanted to come one more time before the bird left us, but I didn't make it. For the bird, dear Laverne Miller, please bear with me today. I'm a, since God gave me a new heart in 2014, I've been a broken man. So please bear with me. I, I'll do the best I can for God. I was really touched years ago. As I was struggling in sin, when I come to find out that there was a man in Kelowna, Iowa, that didn't even know me, but heard about my circumstances, and was praying for me fervently, now dear brother Laverne Miller, 
I had never heard of that. I, I was still in sin. But to hear that there was a man out there that was praying for me, he didn't even know me. I never, I just couldn't understand the concept. But it's a beautiful thing. The power of prayer. Um, my my thoughts are gonna gonna be. I'm gonna share my testimony, but I have some other thoughts I'm gonna throw in along the way with some what God has showed me. So I'm gonna be all across the board. But I pray that we can Lord God can be lifted up and we can be. We lift it up also, and if I never learn something from this, from my mistakes. Um, first of all, I'd like to start out with is one thought that often crosses my mind. We would all agree here today that Jesus is coming sometime soon. Do we all agree that Jesus is coming soon? What about tonight? Are we ready if He comes tonight? What if tonight is the night? Are we prepared? If that trumpet blows at 11 p.m., are we prepared? Or is there something that we need that's not quite done yet? Something we have to make right. Something to think about. We have free will. God gave us free will. We can go whatever we choose. And you guys, you guys all made a choice. Every one of us in this room made a choice this morning. We're going to go to the church, and we're going to serve the Lord. Satan has been really busy wreaking havoc on our churches lately. He's running short on time. And one by one, he's luring family after family out into, the, out into destruction. It's so sad. It breaks my heart. The father gets, the father gets discouraged. And he walks out the door with his wife and his seven or eight or nine children. And away they go. It's so sad. You know what's going to be? Um, it's just really, the chances, they, they can, uh, the children still have a chance, but the chances are greatly diminished at that point. And uh, so anyways, my name is, as uh, Larry said, my name is Louis Delagrange. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I grew up as a young Amish boy. And I love, and I'm not anti-Amish. I love the Amish people very, very much. They're my, they're my burden today. That I, if there's anything that I can do in any way, I'd love to help them people. And any, anybody that God puts in my path, as far as that goes. I just want to be a servant for the Lord. I'm nothing special. But I've been saved by grace. Um... One, one thought before I start that I want to share with you all is this has been there's two little thoughts here there was a man in our church about a year ago and he gave us a little story he made a demonstration he drew a picture of a buggy wheel and it really stuck to me and he, and he had a picture and he had a projector and he had this on the, on the screen on the, he had this picture on the wall and then the hub of this wheel it said it was God. Then all the spokes was like family, worship, th- things that would make up a church. Then around the outside of this wheel, there was a fellow that holds the, the buggy wheel together. And that was identified as the church. And then he ex- explained to us, we take the, he's, making, he's just making a kind of the scenario of a, of a godly, solid church. Then you go around the outside of this buggy wheel, 
and you take a piece of uh, solid iron and you make it very hot and, it, and you put it on there and, it, and it, when it cools it, sh- heat, it shrinks and it gets real tight on that wheel and it holds that wheel together and he identified that as love love for one another and he said he was driving his horse and buggy one day he was going on the road and he uh, was following another man on, 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 on another buggy and this man in front of him went around the corner on a gravel road and the, the wheels were getting worn on this chat buggy and as this man ahead of him went around the corner this iron rim on one of his rear wheels slipped off the, off the wheel rolled down the road of ways wobbled in the ditch and fell over that wheel lost its love and as he followed him for the next mile, he seen piece by piece, one piece at a time, that will fly off. One, first it started with the pieces of the fellow around the perimeter of the wheel. And then eventually one of the spokes started flying out. And the person there was nothing left. It dropped down to the hub. And I just want to, I just, I don't know why, I just want to show, it's not part of my testimony, I just want to show it with you. It's something that I've learned. That it's just sticking in my heart. I just felt... I wanted to share that this morning. Um, we need to love one another, and love is always going to prevail. Well, um, my, I'm not proud of the things I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I made a lot of bad mistakes in my life. I made a lot of what, what it was is choices. I made choices without as a young man, without realizing it. I can blame no one but myself. But choices have consequences, good or bad. We can make any choice we want, but we have once we make that choice, the things in motion, the consequences are on the way, and we have no say about what they're going to be. We can't stop them; they're going to come. The choice has been made, and uh, I, as, at 15 years of age, I had very little teaching. I don't want to. I, I honor my mom and dad very much. My mom used to sing to me when my my sister when we was little boys and girls, little boy and a girl. She spent she did a lot of a lot spent a lot of time with us, but she did the best with, with it. She knew how to teach us, but we didn't have the teaching that that, that you all are receiving today. Your children are being very 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 have a blessed opportunity in life. You can very well you will avoid all the things that I'm going to share with you that that, that came into my life. I pray that you will make your choices. Um, but there are two roads to travel in this life. There are only two roads. It's either the road following God or following Satan. There, there, there is no middle road. There, I, I tried to find one years ago, but there, it's either one, the road to destruction or the road to heaven, one or the other. You know. At 15 years of age... I was um, with some friends of mine. I was at, it was acting cool. We thought we had a snowmobile. And we was really having a good time. And we thought we, and one of the guys had a couple of beers in the refrigerator. And we thought that would really be real good sport to have a couple of beers and ride the snowmobile at a high rate of speed. And we was having a good time. Well, at the, when the evening ended, me, I was driving this snowmobile. And one of my friends, Amish friend, her name Irvin Zare, 
We ended up hitting a car head on at 50 miles an hour, dead center. God spared my life. I could have been done right there. I spent 56 days in the hospital, six weeks in a body cast after that. And uh, that was my first thing that God was, I feel like looking back now, God was trying to get my attention, but I was oblivious. Um, as I said, there's only two roads, but I, 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 didn't, I, had, I didn't realize that at that time. I didn't realize that. I just thought life was to, meant to have fun when you're young. That's what I, that's what I thought. And so I, start, I just started a lot, of, a lot of bad things. And one thing I want to warn, at 15 years of age, I made a horrific, one of the worst choices that I made in my life. I entered the world of pornography. And I'd like to warn you young men in the history room here, if you have not been exposed to that wicked world yet, you will someday soon come face to face with that monster. Make up your mind today. When that day comes, when you come face to face with that evil thing, in whatever form it's in, you will not open that door. You will turn around and go the other way as hard as you can go. Never open the door to that world. Because it is a terrible, a terrible thing to get free of. And it's a sickening thing. It's a degrading degrading thing and, this, and once it gets you it's in, in its clutches it will drag you in a spiral downward to the depths of depravity that most people don't even know exist and I am not going to even give any hints of what they are but it, it is very very despicable and sickening and the end of that choice is total destruction and nothing else but with the mercies of the Lord he's in many many prayers by many people he, he spared me about that I was 15 years old when I made that choice. At 16 years of age, I started doing drugs. I started running around with my friends, and I, and I did a. I was a heavy drinker. I did consider myself an alcoholic, but I had always had a lot of whiskey. I like my own whiskey, and uh, obviously, with that kind of uh, things in your life, uh, immorality would come go right along with that. So what I did in my life, without realizing it, you've all heard, you know, you've heard of strongholds. Say you get to make a stronghold in your life. When I made that choice at 15 years of age about pornography, I opened the door to my heart to immorality. And I, let it, I, feel, like, I feel like I left a little demon in. At 16, when I started, when I started the, the drugs and the alcohol, one, I did that for a year, and I just really having really have a good time, and so I thought. At 17 years of age, I made another choice. I decided I thought it would be really cool to become a karate expert. I used to look at these magazines, and I was fascinated with these these people that could kick and all these things. And so, at 17 years of age, I enrolled in a karate school. And it was a real harsh, bloody military style training. It was a real thing for six years. And I became pretty proficient at it. But I had no way of knowing. I wouldn't have cared at the time anyways, but I didn't know it. But that is directly out of the occult. So that would make it witchcraft. Stronghold number two. 
opened another door to my heart. That one was unwittingly. And then as I, in my earlier days of partying, I was a country music fan. And I thought, country music, is, and when you ask it today, that is a terrible thing. You know, you, you, can, you think the beat sounds good, but listen to the words. It's all about adultery and divorce. And it's, it's all sad things. You know, we don't want to listen to that stuff. Never. Never listen to that kind of stuff. I had a man tell me one day, music is directional. Some music maybe is not so bad as others, but there's a beat, there's a rhythm there. That rhythm is going to take you somewhere. Where's it, where's it going to take you? It's going to be a slow process, but it's going to take you somewhere. So be careful. Well, uh, as, as I said, I, was a country, I like country music, and I hear a man, I hear, every once in a while I'd be out and about, I'd hear a car go by, just a booming and a banging, and they were listening to rock and roll. And I would look and listen to them, look at that car, and I thought, man, what is wrong with that guy? Who would ever want to listen to something? That's a bunch of crashing and banging. It didn't even make no sense. That was my concept at the beginning. But my choice is, it was just another, less than a year, I was into that too. And, AC, and I, my, my favorite band was ACDC. And you, you know, I know you've all heard of that band. And the, the, the theme song that they was most noted for, the title of the song was called I'm on the Highway to Hell. And it had a horrible beat. But it was a, a hypnosis, it's sort of like it's a catchy beat. And that got me. So there I was as a young man. By the time I was 18, I had all these things in my heart. And I was, I was I didn't realize, but I was trapped already, but I, I didn't know it. And I was just going through life. And in 1980, this started in 1980. In 1984, I met a very beautiful young lady named Marilyn Brandenburger. And I started courting her. And um, we got married in 1987. Neither of us were converted. I don't want to be critical of my Amish background in any way. But we had no teaching. We, had, we didn't even know what the new birth meant. What do you mean converted? We didn't, have, we, didn't have, we didn't have no idea. So we got married as both unconverted young people. And I had all these... These sins weren't really hidden. She knew that was in my heart and my life. But with all this baggage in my life, what a poor way to start a marriage. And my poor wife went through misery for 25 years. That's not what God's heart. And I pray that you, none of you will ever experience anything even close to that. That's a horrible thing. It's a helpless thing. Well, my wife had anorexia. And uh, when she was younger, was that something that she battled with? She thought she was... She would look in the mirror and she would, she would feel like she was fat. And she struggled with that for many years. And when we got married, one of my weaknesses was uh, after we got married, we, I continued and I made another choice. I wasn't done partying yet. I was about 24 years old. So I helped instigate a, a party ring of married people. And uh, we continued partying. When we had children, we just kept right on. 
You're not saying get just a little little foothold in your heart. It's, he will just wreak havoc. He will just he will just no end to what he will. He will there's no no stopping. Okay, my wife she had an anorexia, and then she um, when I was, when I would go to these married parties, I would the other one of the my, with, with my immorality problem, I would flirt with the other married women, and that would make my wife feel inferior. And one and uh, that was really going, and she started down with spiral without. We lived in the same house, we lived in the same house all this time. And we, we but we was we was divorced at heart. We were. Far we couldn't we could connect, we could not connect. If we did have a we have a some kind of a tiff, whatever beef or whatever you want to some kind of little argument or whatever, we would let last four days. I won't talk to her for four days, and she won't talk to me. I, and I would tell myself, yeah, she's giving up this time. I'm not. That, can you imagine how miserable that is to give your wife a cold shoulder for four days and living in the same house and not say a word? But that's where we were. And well, at one one point, I didn't didn't realize it, but my wife was really her health was failing. One day, I came home from work, and just over the lunch hour, my wife was sitting out in the back deck. She was crying, and I asked, "What's wrong?" She came to me. She said, "I'm dying, dying. What do you mean? What are you talking about?" She grabbed me and hugged me, and she said, I'm dying. You need to help me, please. I looked at her. I pushed her back. There she stood before me. She was weighed 90 pounds. Her ears were ringing. She had dizziness. All the signs of malnutrition of an of a undernourished person. And there comes a point in that that it's almost irreversible. Then that shocked me. I knew that's when things started started happening, and I knew that that what uh, I was really ashamed at what I had done. I didn't know what to do. But I thought to myself, "What have I done? What have I done? What if she, what if she doesn't pull through this?" I loved, I did love her very much, and she she did love me, but I had all this sin in my heart. I couldn't even function. But I went down to the shop with my head hanging low, and I around our cabinet shop and I didn't know what to do but I knew when I pulled into the cabinet shop on my little scooter there was a van sitting in there and here it was a Shackley salesman it was a lady an old Baptist lady she's always talking about God she's always talking about God every time she's talking every time she and I, I, I knew that about her and I, it didn't offend me but I just, when I seen it that's the thought that went through my mind I knew right away something clicked in my mind there's my answer. That lady knows God. Maybe she can help my wife. So I went and I had never talked to this lady before. She would come to talk to my mother. I went and approached her. So she went down to my house, and her and my, my wife struck up a beautiful friendship of, of worship and prayer together. Even though she was a worldly Baptist lady, but she knew God and she knew her scripture and she loved to pray and she helped us. Start turning our turning our life around, but it was I. Um, and another, but it took. That was, we, we, that was the beginning of our friendship there, and that, and that was ongoing. Um, another thing that happened to me 
When I got married, I had been taught as a young man, we had been taught a morning prayer and an evening prayer that we would recite out of a prayer book in German. And I struggled with the German language, and I couldn't understand that prayer very well. And I tried it. I would only get about a third of the way, about a fourth of the way through it, and I would just quit. I'd just give up. We'd go to bed. And I did that for a couple of years, probably three, four years. And with all this sin in my heart, there came a day I simply quit praying. I just, my heart was stone cold. I just quit praying. And I didn't pray for 20 years. I was living a life of sin and I didn't pray for 20 years. And God spared me all through that time. He's a merciful God. And I, all through them years, I, I would go to the Amish church. And I, I made I made peace with them. And I made I, I went to them and made confession, all these confessions to them at my home church. All these years, I would go to my Amish church and I would go in there. I'd greet the ministers and the bishop. And I was really a nice guy. And I'd sit there and, and they had no clue that these things were in my life. That made me a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that he is not. That is something that would, that would never enter heaven. A, a hypocrisy would never get into heaven. So I, my life went on. And in 1998, my wife was, um, like, as I said, we didn't understand the concept of the new birth or being born again. We didn't understand it, any of that. And... Uh, for whatever it's worth, I want to make it known that there was a Bible in our home. Uh, several Bibles in our home, in our married home. But you've heard the song, Dust on the Bible. I chose not to read it. I, I read Western paperback novels instead. Another, it's just another bad choice. So, and my wife was really getting discouraged and about being dragged off to these married parties that one Friday night after another Friday night after another Friday night. And she knew that that wasn't right. And I had, we had a little son, about two years old. And so one night, one day, one night we had a, a wild, pretty wild bad night out in the, in the evening. We got home late in the morning. And that day I went to work. And that day my wife... Got down on her knees after I left and went to work. She got down on her knees and cried out to God. We didn't know about being born again, but she cried out to God and said, Please help me, Lord. I don't want to be this way. I want to live for you. I want to help you. Please help me, Lord. She wept and cried and prayed the best that she could. God came that day and honored her with a new heart. When she stood up from there, she was born again. As I look back, when I noticed, I didn't know that that, that had taken place. What had, in, what had brought that about, she was cleaning house for a Baptist couple, and an old Baptist couple, and she was cleaning their house once a month or whatever. And then one day when the man challenged her, 
Marilyn, what's your standing with God? Are you saved? And we had been taught, you don't, you, don't, you, you question it eventually, you can't know that you're saved, you just hope and do the best you can. And that's what made her uncomfortable, but then he picked up on that, this man did. And so, in the following, um, somebody have another paper towel or something, a couple paper towels. And the, the following the times that he would pick her up, uh, he uh, would ask her some more questions. And then that got her to that got her inspired to start searching her Bible, and um, so then uh, that started. Uh, many nights she would start reading. She would be reading. Thank you. She would be reading her Bible. I was. It didn't make me. Why'd be reading my paperback novels? I mean, it was that one. Then the day came. She got down on her knees and cried out to the Lord, and, and, and I didn't know it. The, the in the coming days, she started throwing out her romance novels, burning them. Marilyn, what are you doing? And she threw other things away, and she said, "I don't want these things. They're not true. These are false romance novels." She had piles and piles and piles of them. Romance novels are stories about fairy tale marriages that are not real, and we all know life is real. And then they're not like them books. Life doesn't work out that way. It's just not. It's deception. And I and I didn't understand that at first. Why? What? And I, as I watched my wife in the coming months, I came to the conclusion something beautiful had happened to her. I did not know for sure what it was. I didn't know for sure what it was, what had happened to her. But I knew it was it was good. And I want the same thing that oh, I want the same thing that she's got someday, but not just right now. Not just right now. Someday, I'd like to have the same thing that whatever happened to her. But uh, I wasn't ready right now, and so I made it. I, I knew there was, somehow I knew there was a verse. I wasn't reading my Bible, but I knew there was a verse about quenching that spirit. There was a, it has terrible consequences. So I made a, made a decision, a good decision this time. I'm not going to quench that spirit. And I'm not going to let anybody else quench that spirit because that that's my only hope. But I, uh, someday down there when I'm when I'm ready, uh, that's going to be my only hope to, to ever get right with God. And so that was, we went on like that. Um, in, in 2001, we, we, we just continued bumping along like that for 25 years. 25 years of marriage like that. And in 2001, there was a big revival took place in Allen County. Because a bunch of people got born again, and they found the Lord, and they were born again. But there was a, it was sort of a, a lot of chaos. There was no direction and no guidance, no teaching. They didn't know. It was just a lot of. But the church eventually evolved out of it. It's Allen County Fellowship now. Allen County Christian Fellowship. But, then, but I didn't want to have nothing to do with these people. I told myself, these people, they're something, they're, something, they're, they're talking, they're, they're extremists. You know, I, I knew it was okay to be, I, I, by then I understood the, the concept of being born again. I, I, I had, by just, by, I, 
keep my ears open listening. As I would, I would go to a gathering somewhere, this movement was really a big thing. Everywhere I'd go, there was, the people was talking about this thing. You saw me being saved and baptisms, and, and I, would, I would just sit way off in the corner. She, has, my wife, has a large extended family. We'd have family gatherings. I would go there, but I, I was I would sit way back off to the side. But I would listen. I'd sit just close enough that I could hear him, but, but I wouldn't get any closer than that, just so I could hear him. But I'd, otherwise, I'd stay as far away as I could. But I learned a lot by listening to these men talk. Then now I'd, I'd go home and I'd. I, mean, I think I remember a couple of times I looked in my Bible and see if that was actually there. Thank you, brother. And, and, it was, it was, and there it was, right what they had talked about that, that night. It was there. And I thought, wow. Then I started getting concerned. And one day, they had a, a lunch at my wife's, at my wife's uh, parents'. Her mother's dying of cancer today, by the way. She's, she's not, I really don't know how much time she's got left, but Marilyn's mother is very ill as we speak. But anyway, we had their lunch there one day, and they called us and they wanted us to come up here for lunch. I was sort of reluctant to go, but my, we were still in the Amish church, and we would only go to church every other Sunday. And, I, and that's it's sort of a sad note. I feel like it's sort of sad to waste all them Sundays, but... I really enjoyed it. I could just sit back and relax and have the whole day off for myself. Yeah, um, it's not right. It's not what God wants. And uh, well, they called us and we went up there for lunch. I, I took her up there with my with a horse and buggy, and we went up there for lunch. And I just went inside the shed and just sat down. And I went, my I was just looking at all these people and, and man, I just shook it like this. And um, I was just sitting there. I was I was actually pouting. I didn't. I, my wife was just mingling with these people, and she just had a big smile on her face. She was enjoying herself. It was a beautiful time for. That's what she wanted. She had a new heart, just like these people had. And um, I I sat off miserable by myself there. And the door opened to my left, and uh, there's a family came in: a man and wife and five children, two three boys and two girls. It was Brother Aiden Troyer. And I had never seen him before in my life. And he came up to me and he extended a handshake. And his wife shook my hand. And, and I give it, God gets the honor and glory. God, he's, a, he's a servant for the Lord. And God just used him. And then his, all five of his children shook my hand. And then it went on by. And that really, something really hit me. That, what is this? I felt something really special. When they, as they walked by me, when what they had, as I look back now, I can. And I don't mean this. I, don't, I never want to. Criticism is a sin. So I, I don't want to say anything in it with a critical spirit. Ne, never. Whoever I'm talking about. But what what he had, and him and his wife, what they had, was a strong humility, where these other people hadn't found that yet. They, 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 got it, they found it now. But they hadn't had it that time. That's what separated them. That's what something struck me. Then this man, in Charter, I, I don't want to lift him up. I just, I'm just sharing how, how, God, how God worked this all out. He went over and quickly ate his lunch, and he kept seeing me sitting over there. And then this man came over and sat down right beside me. And um, struck up a conversation, and, and we became friends. 
I'm a wicked, vile sinner, and he's a bishop of a godly church. And a very unlikely friendship. But it lasted ten years. He came to my house twice a month from that day on. Twice a month on Sunday afternoons. And he would pray with me and plead with me and share with me. He'd bring his Bible in. And, and I learned that I could, I loved that man with all my heart. And because I knew he loved me. His approach to me was not in a condemning tone, in a condemning way. or It was in a loving way. He, he loved me. I couldn't understand that concept. Why would you, why would you care about me? Why would you care about me? I'm, I'm nothing. I'm no good. But he kept coming. And then the, there was a couple of nights I would, I would just weep and cry. As he would sit by my side, he, he would have this soft, loving voice. He, and there's many men like this in, all, all around that, that have the same thing that Aiden Shore has. I know that, I, I understand that now, that love other people. But I had a hard time understanding this, well, how, why this, how this could be. But he, um, he kept coming faithfully. He had people telling him, Sorry. He had people telling him, Aiden, you might as well give up on that guy. He's a lost cause. He'll never make it. You might as well spend your time on some, something that's more productive, more, more chances of something through to come out of it. But my, at this time, I'd like to interject the, uh, a thought that I've got very strong on this point. Never give up on someone. If they're alive, no matter how hopeless it appears, how desperate it looks, if that man is alive, whatever the woman, if the situation is, that man is breathing, there is hope. Never, never, never give up. What if Aiden Charter would have gave up at nine years? It came to my house for nine years and they just threw in the towel. Where would I be today? Where, I often wonder, where would I be? God sent him another year. Ten years. I wanted, I wanted what this man had, but what I had done, as I had with these bad choices, with these strongholds in my heart, I was like I was at a line, a line in the sidewalk, a, a crack of sidewalk. I knew very well I was standing right on this line. All I need to do is step across that crack in the sidewalk, get over on the other side there, and get down on my knees, and confess my sins to Jesus and or God, and just repent and confess. Ask for forgiveness, invite Jesus into my heart, and He will be He will deliver, He will give me a new heart, and I will be free. But I was frozen. I couldn't cross that sidewalk. I couldn't cross that line. I was frozen. And Aiden finally came to the point where he recognized that fact. So one night as he was at my house, he uh, he asked me he wanted to pray with me that night. He wanted to pray with me, and he wanted me to renounce my desire for ACDC music and, and my karate, the witchcraft. He wanted me to, he wanted to put them under the blood of Jesus. And I wanted to, right? I wanted to. But uh, something said no. Nope. I don't want to. But Aiden, he persisted, and he said, well, would you be okay if I would pray anyways on your behalf. Well, you can pray if you want to, uh, but I'm not a willing participant. I don't know. That came from, from the, the, the darkness within my heart. That's not how I really felt. 
But I had, I had made so many bad choices that I no longer had control of myself. That's, that's where I had no longer had any control of my life. Satan had no control of my life. So, I, so he prayed that night. He laid his hand on my hand and, I, and he prayed, renounced them things in the name of Jesus, put them under the blood. I wept and I wept and wept and wept while that prayer took place. I was so deeply moved. And then when the prayer was over, the evening was over, he went home. And I didn't really think much of it. But about two days later as I went to work, I started realizing, started becoming noticeable that something had shifted in my life. I was, a, my burden, my, my load wasn't quite so heavy. It's, it's, that prayer had done something. It had loosened the hold that Satan had in my life. And I could see a glimmer of light underneath the bottom of the door. A glimmer of light. So I began to battle anew. And I thought, I, I was giving up. I thought I had done too many bad things. I sealed my fate. I'm doomed. I just done it myself. But when I seen that glimmer of light, then I just, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then, uh, so I, it took another couple of years. But in 2006, uh, probably about 2004 or so, when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I have a, I have Parkinson's disease. I don't know if you, you tell them I'm a little bit stiff. I had knee surgery here eight weeks ago. I got two new knees transplanted. It's, it's between them. It's a little bit of both of them right now. And then in 2006, I had a, my daughter Alicia was born. And, and I, I was still in my sins. And my, I, had, I had an 18-year-old, 17-year-old son. Six, well, he was 15, 16, 17, in them years. And he, he, went, he obviously went the wrong way, too, because, you know, with a dad like that, what, what, do you, what, what, what else is he going to expect? But he's making something out of himself today. He's very close to the kingdom. I know he's going to be in there very, very soon. He loves people. But many nights, we would sit there at home. My daughter was two years old. And I'd be reading my Western paperback novels. And it would come time to pray. My wife would get up. And her and her daughter, my daughter would go into the bathroom and they would get down on I didn't, never went never once went to see him, but I could hear them. They went shut the door. I knew they were down on her knees, and this dear little girl was praying for her daddy, and the, my, my, the wife was praying for her husband. And I was sitting out there in my chair, my reclining, my feet up. And I had a Western paperback novel in my hands, and that broke my heart. That made, that brought tears to my eyes, but I couldn't get off my chair. I wanted to go in there and be with him, but I couldn't. I was fast. And that just broke my heart. And uh, some time ago, I came across the poem that I want to recite to you at this time. The title of the poem is, Please, Daddy, Let's Go. A little girl with shining eyes, her, up to, her upturned face aglow, said, Daddy, it's almost time for church and we should go. Let's go and hear of Jesus, love and how he died for all. To take them to, to take them home to his home above who in his name will call. 
Oh no, said Daddy, not today. I've worked hard all this week, and I must have one day to rest. I'm going to the creek. For there I can relax and rest, and fishing is fine, they say. So run along, don't bother me, we'll go another day. Months and years have passed away, but Daddy hears that plea no more. Of let us please, please go to church. Those childhood days are over. Now that Daddy is growing old, and life is almost through, he finds some time to go to church. But what does daughter do? She says, oh, Daddy, not today. I was out almost all night. I have to get a little sleep. Besides, I look a fright. Then Daddy lifts a trembling hand to brush away the tears. And he hears again that pleading voice distinctly through the years. You see the small girl's upturned face, upturned with eyes aglow, saying, Daddy, it's time for church. Please, Daddy, won't you go? Praise the Lord, it might not end up that way. Then, they came, when the new church got established, I let my wife, I want, as I said, I want to keep that spirit alive. I didn't want to quench that spirit. So I would let her go to the, the new established church, and I would stay home. And, my, and, and uh, what I would do, I would let her go to that church on, 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 my, on our in-between Sunday. And then uh, on my church Sunday, I would make them stay home. <laughs> it was uh, a lot of sad situation. That's where sin will take you farther than you want to go and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. That's what, that is a very, very true statement. That's why I, that's, that's, uh, um. So, my wife would go to one church and then I'll go, I'll go to the Amish church the next Sunday. And then when people, would, my, my wife wouldn't go with me. I didn't force her to go. I tried to encourage her to go, but, uh, but she didn't want to. So I, and I, and I, I didn't, I didn't. So I go myself and then people would ask me at the church, well, where's your wife at? Then I could tell them without lying, oh, she's she's just at home. I didn't want to have to tell them she's at the other church. <laughs> my pride and my ego, we couldn't have withstood that at that time. But uh, as time went on, people kept praying for me. And, and uh, I, Brother Aiden Char, I, I kept the, that relationship was ongoing. And um, he would invite me. I would never go there for church. I went, I had some really, my party buddies, they would really frown on that. And I had, a, with my karate, with my karate training, what that done to me is made me a huge reputation. And it made me a huge authority problem. I can take care of myself and I don't need any help. You just, I'll just back off and leave me be. A huge authority problem. All the char- and many other characteristics that a Christian shouldn't have. And but they had a uh, they had a barbecue every year down at the Burn Christian Fellowship. They had a barbecue, and I love and I love them barbecue pork chops. And I'd go, I go I would go down there every year. Now I would see all these men, and I and and then then I used to. You know, op on the excommunicated, we, we call them op on, you know, excommunicated people, you know, I just thought they were bad people. That's just, a, just a, what I had, had been taught. There, you gotta, be, you gotta be, watch, be careful around them kind of people. They'll, they'll mislead you. But I, I, 
I felt safe around these men. I couldn't understand that. These were excommunicated men that had left the Amish church, but they were smiling, they were joyful, and they had beautiful, beautiful characteristics, and I just loved being with them. So one evening, Aiden, they had a youth Bible school going on, and they had a speaker there that year, and this was 2012. They had a speaker there from Kelowna, Iowa, Brother Elvin Martin was speaking. I didn't know Elvin Martin from anyone. He was in the, he's just another servant for the Lord that God used in my life. And this, I went four nights in, three, four nights in a row. On the th- I think it was the third night, if I'm not mistaken. He preached a message called, How Shall We Escape If We Neglect So Great a Salvation? And when he was done, I had never seen him before in my life, but I was sitting in my chair just crying. I was broken. I was shattered. But I was trying to hide it from everybody. I just sat there in my chair and I just tried to keep it. I didn't want anybody to see this. I'm a 48-year-old man, 47-year-old man at that time. Grown men don't cry. You know, and uh, all these deceiving things that Satan put these thoughts in my heart and my mind. And I, but I was really had a battle for about 20 minutes. And uh, there was a man sitting in front of me I didn't know what my wife was just sitting beside me, just real quiet. She didn't say anything. I know she was. She was just praying. Oh, please, please, Lord, help him give up. And then there was a man sitting in front of me. I was just about ready to surrender, and he turned around and seen what I, my condition that I was in, uh, the terrible state. And I was just very, very emotional. And he said, Lewis, he meant it very well. He was a godly, I love that man very, very much today. He said, Lewis, uh, give it, go ahead, go up there, just give it up. You never regret it. And I thought that was an invasion of my privacy. And that's how I looked at it. And I was angry at this man. You just turned around, I didn't tell him this, but I thought, why don't you just turn around and mind your own business? <laughs> Satan again, taking taking control. So I allowed that moment to kill that feeling that I had. I allowed that to, that's my excuse, I'm not going to do it. Nope. Lord had so much mercy on me, God. I just don't understand. When I left that church house that night, I was scared. Because I knew there was a verse in the Bible that he will call on you so many times and then he will harden your heart and he will leave and you're done. You and you are sober. And I thought, man, that was very, very emotional. And I, 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 I declined it. Oh, what have I done? But I, my pride, I could have went back in, but pride wouldn't let me. Pride is another thing that goes along with all this stuff. So I, uh, I didn't know, I, I just thought I was really sad. I thought I'd sealed my fate. And then two years went by. Two years went by. Nothing much happened. I, just, I kept in contact with Aiden Troyer. We kept doing things. and But it, it was just sort of a, like a law. And I didn't know for sure. But I, and one thing I noticed, that when something, according to what would happen, something I'd see or somebody would say something, or something emotional, I noticed that I would cry. And I, I was a little bit excited. I thought, well, that's a good sign. If I'm still crying, maybe, 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 uh, maybe there's hope for me. 
It just seemed like I was up against a mountain. I, I, I just looked before me, there was a huge wall. Way too high, too steep to climb, and it was way too far to go around. I was up against. And I, I, just, I just didn't know what to do. Well, after two years went by, I heard some men talking. There's a leadership seminar coming up at Burn Christian Fellowship, and I heard somebody, somebody say something about Martin, and I thought, my ears perked up, Martin. And I got into the conversation, and I was still very, very carnal. And, I said, and then they said, yeah. I said, is, is Elvin Martin preaching down here this, this year again? Yeah, every night? And I just got so excited at the possibility of what could maybe take place. I got so excited. I told my wife, Marilyn, Elvin Martin's going to be down at Burn four nights this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm going to go every night. Marilyn, if that happens again, what happened two years ago, if that happens again, I'm giving my heart to the Lord. I'm giving up. I, I promise. I promised myself and my wife and God that I was going to give up. Well, the third night it happened again. The third night it happened again. But I found myself fighting it off again. Satan is so wicked and so deceitful and so... He's strong, but, but Jesus is stronger. Never, like I said, never give up. But I was, I was very close to just throwing in a towel and just accept my fate. But God had other plans. Well, that night I, I, uh, I was broken and crying just like two years earlier. And I, uh, I was just weeping. And uh, I finally got uh, regained my composure. So I thought, I thought I had control of it. And then my wife asked me. She didn't say a word. Bless her heart. She never pushed me. That would have made it worse. That would have just been, I'd have been a reverse reaction. So she was quiet. And when, whenever, and I thought I had regained my composure. She asked me, Louis, would you like to go up and talk to Brother Elvin? And I said, um, yeah, where's he at? Well, the, the church was dismissed. People were mingling about. He was sitting up in front of them, talking to some people up front. So I went up, I started, me and my wife started walking to the front of the church at Burn Christian Fellowship. I was a dejected person. I was going to go up and ask this man that I had never spoken to before. I didn't know anything about him. And I, all I knew is he had a booming voice and a nice pretty white shirt and pretty white suspenders. And I really appreciated this man. And I, and, and I knew it wasn't him. It was the servant that God had put in my life. Every night I watched him go up to the podium I, and his spring and his step and the, the zeal. And, and the, the, it was just amazing. I was just sitting there with just on pins and needles. So I went up there that night to the front of that church and I was going to ask him what I should do the next time something like this happens. How I can never come to come repentance. And as I said, Elvin, I knew his name was Elvin. And I didn't say, Elvin, can I talk to you a second? Well, yes. And, and there was this man that had just spoken a powerful message for the Lord. He was a servant for the Lord. Turned his complete attention to me. 
he's complete, devoted his complete attention to me. We was talking about it this morning. I just melted into a jelly blob. I just, I just, that was it. I just landed in a seat. Fortunately, there was a chair there. But that was it. That was the end of the road. And uh, no more fighting. And we went in the prayer room, and, and Aiden Troy went with us. <laughs> I confessed on It was in there for about two and a half hours. Just... Uh, this is tell you one one little detail that happened in that prayer room. Satan has such a hold of me. Halfway through the confession, they wanted. Elvin was. Brother Aiden Charlie was asking me. That I was saying my confessions to him, and Brother Elvin was writing down on a piece of paper. It was on her knees, and he was writing down a piece of paper, and halfway through. I thought there was only about four or five things in my life, but Aiden knew that there was more. So we went down a whole one side of the page, and we started down in the second half of the page, and all of a sudden something dark and oppressive came into the room. Stop! Stop! I, I couldn't hear an audible voice, but I could hear it in my heart and my mind. And I, me and my wife was on the knees on the carpet like this here, and I felt my body scooted away from them two men a half inch on that floor. It moved me. Something, whatever this dark thing was, it actually moved me. Stop, stop. And there again, I thought that was just my imagination. That 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 couldn't have happened. But later, I talked to my wife and about that. A couple weeks later, I told her what I had experienced that night. She said, "Well, it moved me too." Wow. But at that very same moment, there's another thought came through that I had heard in a sermon years earlier. Don't about people that get born again. They give their heart to the Lord and they surrender and become converted. They surrender and confess everything except one little thing. They, they have one little thing back in their heart, a, a, a little hidden room. Okay, Lord, anything but, but not that door. Whatever's in there, that, that's off limits. And this man said, well, it was Mervyn Graber. Mervyn Graber is one that taught me that, preached that man. Jonathan Beach, you would know, it used to be his bishop. And he had preached that message. He said, people that do that will never have a good walk with the Lord. They'll always be handicapped. They'll never have a clear walk. I had heard that message 12 years earlier, just by chance. Well, not by chance. God, God had ordained for me to hear that. So that night, when the darkness came into the prayer room, that message came black, loud and clear. Don't hold nothing back. Let it all. Surrender it all. Don't let nothing back. So I did. I went on and I just confessed everything. Then, the end result was, um, I remember, i never forget, at the end of that evening, I looked at Brother Elvin, <laughs> and I said, uh, and I looked at Brother Aiden, and I was just crying, I was able to pray, I was able to sing, things that I hadn't been able to do for years, right there on that floor. And I was, and I was so thankful that my wife, the, the, the confessions that she heard come forth that night, I thought, surely she's going to get up and leave. She cannot withstand the things that she's hearing. But she just kept holding on to me tighter and tighter and tighter. She, she stayed right there. And when we got done, i never forget this. I asked the men, well, did it happen? Did it happen? And he said, absolutely. And Brother, Aiden, Brother Elvin took that tablet of paper 
And he ripped off that page with all the vile sins written on it. And he wadded the paper up and he threw it back in the corner of the room. He said, Lewis, at this moment, this is your life. Your life at this very moment is a clean sheet of paper, unmarred, right at this very moment. So and then we left the prayer room, and I never forget when that's the one thing that happened. Another thing that happened that very a few minutes later, Brother Elvin, it was Brother Elvin at that point, went across the hallway, <laughs> went into a separate room, shut the door, and I was still standing out there, and I heard him say, "Praise the Lord, Hallelujah!" He did at the top of his lungs. He was so excited for me. And God bless you, Elvin, for being there and being a servant for the Lord at that time. I know you're still a servant for the Lord, and thank you for all that you've done for me since that. He and he followed up. Then I thought I had my ticket in hand. I thought, Wow, I finally made it! I made it. It took me a couple of months to for the realization to sink into me. This is only the beginning. Now the battle really is on. And that, and that became a reality to me. So, okay, I'm game. I came this far. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm not. Uh, I'm never going to go back that way. But um, it took me about three years. I wandered around in in, um, in the wilderness. I knew God wanted me. God wanted me to join, be become, join a group of like-minded people and plug into a brotherhood. Satan became. And I was free for about six months. About four months. I was just, my wicked desires were gone. I was just elated. Then Satan came back. And he zeroed in on the immorality part of my life. And that, that was a weakness there. I was, I was delivered, but there was still a weakness there. And I, and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't want to leave the Amish church. I loved them people very much. And that night on the prayer room floor, as I was on the prayer room floor, I... Uh, Expressed a desire at the end of my confession. I, I don't know if Elvin remembers this. I expressed a desire to God that if it would be His will, I would love to be able to help other people. You remember that when I expressed that? And um, God honored in that. And, and He started making opportunities for me to witness to people and share with people. But He opens the doors and I can do nothing of my own. But now, now I'm stuck for three years. I didn't have the courage to make a stand. I didn't want to get put in the bond. I didn't want to be excommunicated from the Amish. I, I just, just, I just couldn't. Uh, but but then I think about what all God had done for me, what He had brought me through, what He had delivered me from. And, and in Hebrews six, He says, "Go on to perfection. Become a teacher. Help other people. Go on to perfection." You know, and that's what. But I, but if I, but if I do this, that's why I tried to find the middle road. I had been going down the wrong road. Now God wanted me to go down this road. But if I go down this road, my cabinet, I have Amish employees in my shop. A lot of bad things are going to happen. My world's going to crash. There's got to be a way that I can serve the Lord. And I never want to go back to this other road. But there's got to be a way that I can do this without all these things, everything crashing. Well, I eventually discovered that that's not possible. Um, so, I... Um, well, a lot of things that happened then, but so there was a revival meeting in Liberty, Kentucky. A couple of about three years later, there was a revival meeting in Liberty, Kentucky, and, and Brother Elvin Martin was one of the speakers. So I decided I'm going to go down there. That's not something I would normally do drive six hours to hear preaching. 
But I had a desire to hear some preaching. And I was praying that Brother Elvin would preach something to get me off, get me off that fence and get me motivated on down. Just, just go on. I, I knew it was wrong to stay there. God wanted God had delivered me for a reason. I didn't know why, but I just knew deep down in my heart, he wanted me to go on. He had things for me to do. I didn't know what. So I went down there and we stayed for a couple messages. The elephant preached a couple messages and nothing happened. Sunday morning we was getting ready to leave. And I decided, let's stay for one more sermon. One more sermon. And it was Brother Mark Hurst. I had never met that man either. But he preached a message and he talked about people that get born again. And they just don't go nowhere. They're born again. They're saved. They just don't know which way they're going to go. They just don't know what they're going to do. And, and I started looking around the room. I thought, somebody must have told him about me. But uh, God, I, I don't think that was the case. And he said it again. They just, they're born again, but they just don't go nowhere. They just, he, he, he was just like a Syrian. They just don't know if they're going to go this way or this way or this way. They just don't know. He said, you just drive that stake in and go on. And that thump podium caught my attention. Drive that stake in. And that was a new phrase that I needed to hear. Drive that stake in and go on. Well, a couple of days later, I was in my office and then that thought came real overpoweringly in my heart. To drive that stake in and go on. I actually was sitting at my desk. Something warm enveloped my entire body. A wave of just pure bliss just enveloped my body from the top down a wave then another wave and during that there's four waves that came across my body it was just a warm incredible feeling and each time that wave came drive that stick in drive that stick in and so I knew to call my wife that gave me the courage to make a stand and go on so ultimately I cut ties in, a, in very good terms with my Amish people I, I'm very, very good friends with them today. I love them very much. I have a very good relationship with them, but I explained to them that I need to be in a different fellowship. Otherwise, Satan's going to... If he pulls me back in that hole again, I'll never get out the second time. So... But there's a... I'm running out of time here. But I, I just got to share one, one, one quick thought here. One thing that God did for me when I made a, made a decision to go to make a separation and go into go, Aiden had given me permission to visit down here. I didn't know if I was ever going to become a member. I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I live in Allen, but I I just uh, so greatly admired that fellowship and uh, how how them people were related to one another and the peace and the feeling that I, I just love the feeling in that in that setting. It's the same setting thing, same thing that I feel here today. But um, I made a decision to to make a stand and, and join this other church. And that was going to cost me the excommunication. And my son and my nephew were working for me in my shop, in my cabinet shop. And I knew that they were both married to Amish ladies, and I didn't want to put them in a bad spot. So I told them, I helped them start their own cabinet shop. And they, they decided, and I bought them something to help them buy equipment and stuff. I didn't want them to be in the middle of, of this, this situation that I was going to be in. Well, it came to the day... They're going, to, they're going to start the shop in three months. So I started asking people to help me. I was trying to find somebody to help me in my shop. My two, my right and left-hand man are both going to be gone. And I have Parkinson's and I can't get around very well. So I, uh, I made it known that I needed a worker and nothing happened. It came down to the last day. 
the, the Thursday morning, I went down to the cabinet shop. And I walked in there. Me and my mom and dad and my brother were standing there. And my, my son and my nephew did not come that way. At 6 a.m., they went to their own shop. And I hadn't found nobody to replace them. And I thought, what am I going to do? At 6.05, there was a knock on the front door of our cabinet shop that very morning. And I went to the door and opened the door. And there was a Mexican man standing there, me looking for a job. I said, well, come on in. And I had a lot of doubts. I had a lot of doubts. Oh, he probably can't speak English. He probably doesn't have a green card. He's probably illegal. All these negative thoughts. Unbelief. Doubts are unbelief. And, and I, I failed miserably. But everything was in order. And then I looked at him and I said, well, when could you start? Me have shoes in car. I said, go put them on. And that man is still with me today. He is with me today. I had no way of knowing he was coming that very morning. But he's with me today and we never missed a deadline. God is a faithful God. If we confess our sin, he is just. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I would like to encourage the young people with another thought. There's going to come a day Jesus is going to come knock on your heart's door. He'll come someday soon. Someday, some people, He comes earlier in their life and some people comes later. But when He knocks on your door of your heart, remember, the handle to your heart, the door handles on the inside. He cannot come in unless you open the door and let Him in. Please let him in the first time he comes. You'll never regret it. A Christian life is a beautiful life. I have no regrets. I would never give this life up for nothing. I would, I would, if a soldier would walk in here right now, I would, have the, I would not recant. He could, I could, he could do whatever he has, whatever he wants. To, I would miss my wife, but I would not recant. I know I wouldn't. After, it's a beautiful thing that God has done. And... All, all the while, what gave me the courage to, to go forth with this excommunication and all this thing, I trusted in that verse in Matthew. It's, it's a verse, Matthew 19, verse 29. And anyone, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children... Or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And it was written in red. So I knew Jesus had said that. So I knew he's going to take care of me in some way. I didn't know what. Well, my, I, my, my business fell apart. A lot of people uh, fired me. One man, Amish man fired me and then an English man actually fired me too. Because I was talking too much about the Bible. He didn't like that. But in a year's time, a year later, God kept that very promise. I had three times more work than what I had before. And my son, it, the blessings overflowed onto my son's shop. He, is, he has a 10-man shop today. And I've, he, he sees and recognizes that the stand that dad took for Jesus, that God blessed him in return, and the blessings overflowed onto him. Okay, I have just a few more thoughts, and then I'll wrap this up here. Um, Um, the, we often talk. We often hear about 
Well, okay. I heard a story. A man said one day he went to the zoo, and him and his children were at the at a big glass cage, real thick glass, and there was a lion on the other side. And they were looking at this lion, and then the man uh, with the, the hawk and his children said, "Man, I am sure thankful I'm on this side of the glass, and I'm not in there with that man, with that lion." But in all reality, we are in the pen with a roaring lion who is roaming about seeking whom he may devour. The lion just as evil as that lion with the sharp teeth. He's right here. He wants us. And, and another thing that we need to remember, Jesus is very near with open arms and saying, Come, come, come. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he will. A wise man chooses his destination early in life and accepts the journey that it takes to get there. Others choose their journey and have to accept the destination that's in store for them. And one thing I often like to think about is, um, have you ever gone to a viewing and there's a man laying in a casket and you know what kind of life this man lived and you think to yourself, you just look at this man and you ponder, I wonder where he went. Let's not live a life like that. Let's live a life that's not gray, that people can have a good feeling about us. We know we've got to be judged, but they can, at least they have peace. They have a pretty good idea that this man went to heaven. What will people say about me after my passing? Will they look at my life as a warning or as an example? Let's not leave any question marks. And... Um, Unity in the church is very, very important. And I would encourage the young people, if you're in a courtship or you're getting ready to start a courtship, keep it pure. It, it's worth it all. You will never regret it. And don't ever let, if, get, if you have a hidden sin in your heart, it will hold you fast. And I found that out the hard way. And uh, one of the last thoughts I want to share here uh, is um, when that trumpet blows and Jesus comes back to get his bride, it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take his people and he's going to be gone. Let's not be left behind. Let's not be left behind. If When he comes, if we have sin in our heart, unforgiveness in our heart, Anything that shouldn't be there, he will not take us. He will leave us behind. Um, I have one more thing. I want to, oh, I got two more things real quick. Now, I, just take just a few minutes and I'll be done. Can I, uh, it's okay if I read this, Marilyn. My wife, for many years, while I was sitting in my chair, reading my Western paperback novels, my wife was, she's sitting over on the couch and she was reading her Bible, and she would do a lot of writing, a lot of writing. She would just write, and I would just watch her. And then that book, of, the tablet would always be laying there for years, but I never opened it up to see what she was writing. I don't know why. But I, after I got converted, I, I was going through that book one day, and I found a page that broke my heart. This is her, this is her state of mind, my wife, in 1989. 1999 or 1998 to those I love 
her, her life was just despair. She thought there was no hope. She's never gonna. She's never gonna have a good life. Her husband's a loser, and she just. It's just gonna be a bad life. When I am gone, just release me. Let me go, so I can move into my afterglow. You must have tied me down with your tears. Let's be happy that we had so many years. I gave you my love. You can only guess how much you gave me in happiness. I thank you for the love you each have shown. But now it's time I traveled on alone. So grieve me for a while. If grieve you must, then let your grief be converted with trust. It's only for a little while that we must part. So bless these the memories within your heart. And then when you must come this way alone, I'll greet you with a smile and say welcome home. I just said this is it was a letter of despair. One last thought, and then I'll quit. Um, my my daughter Alicia Rose gave her heart to the Lord July nineteenth of this past summer, and she she's sixteen years old. She's been a very that's the little girl that was praying for me in the bathroom years earlier when she was three years old. Now she's sixteen. One evening, I was, had a bad night. You know, you, you talk about discouragement. Thank you for that opening, brother. That was very encouraging to me. Uh, I, I had a discouraged night. My knees were hurting. I was in... Uh, it just seemed like uh, this life was miserable. Uh, Satan was trying to drag me down. And I, I, then allowed my, I had sort of a rough night. And, then, and so I went to bed that way. And the next morning... My wife went out to the kitchen and she came back and said, Yeah, look what I found here. This note was laid on my briefcase. Is it okay if I read it, Alicia? Good morning, Dan. Rejoice and be glad, for this is the day that the Lord hath made. This is just a little note of encouragement, praying that God will bless your day. I pray that God will help you with all your knee pain and back pain. Don't get discouraged. God is there, and He will help you. I don't like to see you in pain and sad and down. So keep pressing on and keep your smile. I love you. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherein we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a lot of other things I could share and add this, but I think I'll just uh, stop there. And I just pray that God could be, if anything good comes out of this, if God gets all the honor and glory, it's not me. But I pray that that some of you young people will make, this will have an effect on the choices that you make in your, in your life from here on. Just remember, choices have consequences. And never compromise with sin. And don't play games with Satan. You, you, this is a dangerous, dangerous game. And don't procrastinate. If something, if something happens, make you know, between you and your wife, or you and your neighbor, or whatever, just take the low road and make peace. Whatever it takes, make peace immediately. Don't let it grow into a bitter feud. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Well, God bless you all, and thank you for letting me be here today. And I, I pray that I really appreciate all you guys being here. You guys, there's many things you could have done, done today rather than come to church, but I pray that you guys will keep pressing on. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Well, God bless you all, and may you 
We all see each other in heaven someday.